Hello and welcome back to the Major Film Reviews Podcast. This is Nathan speaking to you before we record our main body of products just to uh, give you a bit of update as to where I am at the moment. I know that I've been a bit quiet on my website as of recently. Um, those of you who have been keeping up with my socials know that I have um, recently moved, not only moved house but moved city. I've moved about an hour away from where I used to live and i um, been living my life out of boxes for the past few weeks which is why I haven't really been able to get out and review stuff. Um, so this is um, to tide people over. I'm hoping to be back into the cinema as soon as possible. I'm working on a review of the one and only Ivan that's on Disney Plus at the moment. But um, for now I'm going to do this podcast. Me and Angel are going to talk about um, a topic that I've referred to multiple times over the past month on my website and that is the Disney Renaissance. I'm very much looking forward to talking about it and um, that seems like enough babble from me so I shall pass you over to me in the future for a good chat about the Disney Renaissance. Hello and welcome to the Major Film Reviews podcast. I'm Nathan Major of um, Major Film Reviews, obviously, joined by my co-host Angel Rulofs. Say hello, hello. Angel. Hello, Angel. Sorry, I, I got in there a bit early. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to set you up for your monthly gag and you wasn't having any of it. <laughs> it's just not, yeah, not my week. <laughs> so, this week we've got an interesting topic to brighten up everybody's week. We figured with um, with all the kind of death and horror in the news, we might as well talk about something cheerful and something everybody likes. We're talking about the Disney Renaissance this month. Um, so... Angel is a little bit older than me, so I might actually remember the um, Renaissance as it was happening. Do you have any yep. memories of go- going to see any of them when they were first out? Yeah, I remember watching um, Hercules in cinemas. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I was um, nine when that came out. Oh. <laughs> like, was, um, it, was it, uh, wait, when did it come out? Was it 19... 1998. 98? Uh huh. I, th- I think. Okay. Uh, all, yeah. It's um. Oh, yeah. ninety nine. Sorry, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was a bit older than that. Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah, the I list of um, films by release date <laughs> up on my computer. Yeah. Oh my goodness, because I'm I'm trying to go by by recall, which not not the best, not the best. Well, I'm um, pretty much the same age as the Lion King. The Lion King came out the week after I was born, so. Um, well, I'm technically older than the Little Mermaid. <laughs> our, our our elder statesman of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm looking at the um the Wikipedia page, and it's like the release date. It's yeah, I would have been exactly two years old when that came out. That came out on my birthday. And um, I know with this being a podcast, you don't really get the benefit of of, of seeing. But to, but but to look at me and Angel side by side, you would think that I was the older of the two because Angel has a very annoyingly baby face. It's, it is it is so annoying because I I kind of turn it into a game now where people are just like, wait, so how old are you? I'm like, guess, and they're just like, twenty one. I think the oldest I got was like 25, and I'm just like, thank you. I remember that too. <laughs> I'm just like, but how do you do it? I don't know. 
the amount of stress and trauma I've been through, I don't know how I'm not completely grey. I was once asked when I was 16 whether I was 30, which gives you a good idea of uh, how well I've aged. Um, Even like nine years ago, I looked 30, so so you can pretty much imagine what I look like now. Yeah, I think we have like the sort of like opposites of the spectrum when we get ID'd at shops where it's just like, here's my ID card. Whereas I'm just like, okay, just figure out my age. Just just wait for it. It's just like, oh, oh, you look really good. Just turn into yes. a game. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, just stroke my ego, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. Disney Renaissance... Yes. As well as being a, a very, very difficult way to spell, is um, a, a period of Disney history stretching from 1989 to 1999, uh, mm. according to Wikipedia, and um, settle in and allow Uncle Nathan to weave you a tale of the Disney Renaissance. Imagine this is like a little puppet theatre, and we're now introducing the characters. So here's um, here's little Walt and little Roy Disney. Oh, but oh no, they're dead now, so they they can shuffle off. Um, and in their place is Walt's son-in-law, who makes a right royal mess of things. And then in the midst of all of this, an animator by the name of Don Bluth, with a lot of really good ideas that Disney don't seem all that interested in, goes and makes his own studio, his own animation studio, Don Bluth Productions, whose first few films instantly become bigger hits than the latest Disney releases. Um, his films included An American Tale, The Land Before Time... Um, the, the one with the toaster that I can never remember the name of is uh, the little toaster that could or something like that. But um, anyway, his his films outgross Disney films, including um, the Great Mouse Detective that was released the same week as an American Tale. An American Tale outgrossed the Great Mouse Detective, which, um, as you can probably imagine, uh, made the Disney suits very very unhappy. So in walks two more key players to the narrative. Michael Eisner, the ever um, divisive, shall we say, CEO of the Disney Corporation, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's put in charge of the animation department. And then um, Jeffrey Katzenberg decides to go back to what made Disney very popular in the, in the first place, and they're going to start with um, big-budget animated musicals like they made their name with, starting off with... In 1989, The Little Mermaid, which uh, is a nice little starting point. And obviously, as you were saying, Angel, you were two years old when The Little Mermaid was released, and I was but a glint in my parents' eyes. Um, what are your prevailing mem? What, what, what do you remember of The Little Mermaid? Any memories of growing up with The Little Mermaid? Uh, I I basically wanted to be the little mermaid but in the mermaid form i never understood why she wanted to be a human because even at a very young age um i was just why be be human mermaids are just absolutely awesome like your dad is a sea god like and eric kind of fell for another woman uh... So, even from a young age, you were very cynical, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the older I get, the more I'm just like, Ursula wasn't wrong. <laughs> I'm siding more and more with Ursula. <laughs> the, the older you get, the more you go from like wanting to be Ariel to wanting to be Ursula. Like, yeah. The, 
it's just kind of a grad- gradual transformation from wanting to be a mermaid to wanting to be a sea witch. Yeah. <laughs> of course, also the little mermaid introduces us to um, someone who would be very important for the rest of the Renaissance and indeed up until the modern era, and that's uh, Alan Menken who wrote the music for mm-hmm. Little Mermaid along with his songwriting partner Howard Ashman, who's sadly no longer with us but um do you do you have a a favorite song from the soundtrack of little mermaid and is it poor unfortunate souls it is it is one of the the few ones that i actually do vividly like i say vividly remember my recall skills is getting worse the older i get my recall skills are just like huh what did you did you say something yeah um but yeah poor unfortunate souls i've i i reference that quite regularly <laughs> a little too regularly now that i think about it also brought um alan menken the first of um eight oscars he's won eight mm-hmm. oscars for his work in disney films um and he won it for I can't believe Kiss the Girl Under the Sea, but it was one of the two. And he would that, that would pretty much become a repeating theme of Alan Menken would write amazing mm-hmm. music for Disney, win an Oscar for it. And that would be the story of pretty much the entire 1990s. Um, yeah. Of course, he would write, of all the what are qualified as Renaissance films, he would write the music for all but... Two or three of them, I think. One, two, three. Yeah, three. all but three of the Disney Renaissance films were um, scored by Alan Menken. Um, so he's very much the, the architect of the sound of those films. And a, a lot of the time when I think of the Renaissance, some of the songs are the first things that come to my mind, to be honest. Mm. Um, when I think of, of Little Mermaid, I think of, as I say, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Or I think of part of your world, and um, even like later on, I really like the score to Hercules as well, which I think is kind of a, a <laughs> hidden gem of the Renaissance. Yeah, um, with that, like one of my favorite songs from Hercules is um, it's just the Muses. I love them so much, but um, they turned one of the songs into a bit of a a British meme where it's like, oh my soul, Herc is on a roll, and it's just like a bread cake, and I was just like, oh my soul, wait, Herc on a what? But that's a bread cake, but it's, oh no, wait, the lyrics is roll. Oh, it's a bread roll, right, we're going with that one. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also the the two pronunciations of vase on every vase, on every vase, that's, that always made me laugh. Yeah, see, I I kind of get that with the Little Mermaid because I still pronounce her name as Ariel, mm-hmm. and people just oh, like, because of Sebastian, because of Dutch pronunciation. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, because yeah, that's like, how Sebastian re- pronounces it. As yeah, well. rewatching it in English, and I'm just like English, English, that English, okay, English. Yeah, we have you're, English now. Wow, you're adding oh. an extra syllable that isn't needed there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's, fun. it's all right you're foreign we'll let you off <laughs> yeah okay uh, i can't even remember what i was saying now this is something about Ar- ariel the pronunciation of ariel yeah because watching it in english i'm just like okay first of all the voices are a little bit different 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So Interesting. And then everyone's just like, Ariel. Ariel. Ariel, that's... Hmm. And then it's just Sebastian is the only one that gets her name right to me. But it's like, no, that's just Sebastian's pronunciation. Of course, the, the Little Mermaid is um, one of the upcoming films doing the um, the remake Carousel, the remake Mambo. Um, that's due out in the next few years. I'm actually kind of excited about it because I'm, I'm wondering what kind of take they're going to go with the whole thing of young girl falls in love with boy boy falls in love with girl but then falls in love with the sea witch in disguise and mermaid gets likes because like growing I'm growing just very excited because Lynn Mama Miranda's working on the score <laughs> I, I can't wait to see the mashups <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm on TikTok now so I've seen people where it's just like okay so we've got this um, Lynn song from Moana and then somebody's started to sing um, something from Hamilton over the music and I'm like oh oh. also um, David Diggs from Hamilton is voicing Sebastian in the remake I'm actually happy about that which is great yeah. David Diggs, um, who I think was Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton. Mm. Yeah. And um, Lafayette, who is incredible, incredibly talented. He was also yeah. he's also in uh, been in quite a few films now mm. as well. He, he was the lead in the Snowpiercer TV series this year as well. So his his career's on the up. So the Little Mermaid was a kind of starting off point for this new oh. age where Disney was reinventing its animated um, stu- animated film studio because it had kind of been in a real doldrums in the 1970s and 80s. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of box office bombs, um, critical and commercial missteps, a couple of really poor decisions that ultimately... <laughs> Ultimately, had those poor decisions not been made, it wouldn't have led us to the Renaissance. But it's yeah. it's kind of a a, um, a domino effect from the death of Walt Disney that leads us directly yeah. to the Disney Renaissance and the hiring of Michael Eisner, who would go on to be probably one of the most controversial figures in Disney history. Um, there's a a book that I keep meaning to read about um, Michael Eisner's kind of removal as Walt Disney CEO. Um, it's called Disney War, and I, I still haven't read it yet, but it, it's on my list. Um, I also watch a lot of um, Defunct Land and Yesterworld on YouTube, who kind of mentioned him quite a lot. I recommend those um, those channels for a bit of specifically theme park history, but some of it links into this as well. And then um, after The Little Mermaid came one that I don't really feel fits the theme of renaissance i think this is kind of hold over from the past era it was uh, mm. the rescuers down under mm. sequel to the rescuers again there's there's um this and the last film tarzan i don't really think fit the mold of the disney renaissance i think the renaissance has a very specific feel a very specific yeah. animated style that these two just don't seem to fit yeah i think the the rescuers down under definitely feels like it was just something that was in production like okay well we're gonna finish this Mm. and it kind of comes in a bit later almost feels like an afterthought yeah 
it goes to show something when like the most famous thing about the film is the the like two frames of a naked woman that were mixed into one of the scenes. I don't really remember Rescuers Down Under. I know I've still got it. Um, I've still got the tape at my mum's, mm. and it's just I've just not bothered digging it out. I thought I was kind of hoping it would be on Disney Plus, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that the rescuers isn't on Disney Plus. I don't think the first one is even. Let me. Go. So I, I, I was watching Hunchback. That's still sort of in the background. But yeah, I don't think it, it is. All right. So. Some people refer to the rescuers down under as a bit of a forgotten classic, but I've always kind of found it a bit of a, bit of a bland experience. Oh. Okay, the rescuers is actually on Disney Plus today. Yeah, I was going to say all of I the. I think all of the classics are on Disney Plus. All I of wanted the to watch it um, last week, and I searched for it, and nothing. But it's there now. Mm-hmm. Well, at least now you can sit down tonight and watch it. Yeah, I feel slightly betrayed. Where it's just like, yeah, it's not on Disney. Oh, nope, prove me wrong. <laughs> but yeah, even looking at the animation style, it's it's quite different. It's got a very cheap feel to it. Quite quite a lot, a lot of the 70s and early 80s Disney stuff had a very cheap looking animation style, almost like it was a like a TV animation as opposed to a feature yeah. length film. Um, it's definitely lower budget. Yeah, I think that's the more professional term. Because <laughs> oh, yes. a, a, a lot of people might not know that um, TV animation of that time employed a style known as limited mm. animation where they would use as little frames as possible to keep the budget down. So even though it would look like it was moving, there were actually very few um, renders of that character. And that's what the 70s and 80s Disney films remind me of a lot. Um, the yeah. Fox and the Hound's a bit like that as well, I think. Um, and The Rescuers is certainly a kind of hold of... As you said, it, it feels like a, a story that was in development and didn't really fit in with the style, but they had to finish it anyway. Yeah. Um, sort of like, we started, we might as well finish. Yeah. Just. I, as it, it stands, there. it really just kind of sticks out amongst the other films. Like yeah. a sore thumb. Looking because... at the, the seagull. Uh, sea, <clears throat> looking at the rescuers, there's the, the picture of the seagull. And he reminds me a lot of the seagull from The Little Mermaid. Mm. I've noticed that they kind of. Oh, this I, I feel like this is going to be so controversial. But I feel like they kind of recycle characters to an extent, like the drawings. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, in um, the one with Princess Tiana. Princess and the Frog. Yes. Um, like, there's, there's the... Oh, what's his name? Like, the, the, the main fly. villain. Yeah, um, the main villain. He kind of looks a bit like Jafar to me. And then Naveen oh, looks like uh, Aladdin. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm just like, okay, so this is Jafar and Aladdin's, like, distant cousins? Maybe? <laughs> Actually, I'd never noticed that, but now you mention it, I, I kind of see what you mean. Yeah, um, and it, it happens usually with, like, smaller characters, where it's just like, you kind of look a bit like someone... I've, I've seen you before, but where? Am I just... But, is this the face blindness, but with cartoons now? Am I... Hmm. <laughs> see, like, a, no, a similar thing happens in... Pixar films, but in a kind mm. of very deliberate way, which they will put 
characters of future films in like the films they're currently working on, like um, Lotso is in Up and yeah. things like that. And, um, it's like those are sort of like deliberate Easter eggs, which is yeah. like if you look at um, what is it, Frozen? You've got um, Rapunzel with her short brown hair yeah. and Flynn because yeah. they're cousins. I'm like, that's that's an interesting like Easter egg. It's relevant. But when it's just like that seagull looks a lot like the seagull from the other film. You have to remember as well about the time that Rescue Was Down Under was in production, that D- mm. Disney was in probably one of the worst financial states it's ever been in, mm. in terms of company. I think there was there's, there's this period and there was during the war and those were the two like worst mm-hmm. financial periods in Disney history, which the, the Renaissance kind of saved it from. Yeah, because um, the the animation studio was basically on the verge of being cut from Disney before the Renaissance saved it. After mm-hmm. the 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 Black Cauldron was such a disappointment that the the animation studio in general was in jeopardy of being cut completely. Mm. So how had that happened, we would have never ended up with this era because that's what basically forced a change. Mm. And um. From the rescuers, from one that sticks out like a sore thumb, we have perhaps one of the best examples of the Renaissance, and that's the Beauty and the Beast. For my mm. for my money, one of the best looking animations in history. Mm. Um, when I think of what animation can do, the first thing that pops to my mind is the ballroom scene, in all its kind of yeah. splendor that. They they tried to recapture in the live action version, but didn't quite capture the magic of it. No, bless them. They tried. They tried. It's like B minus for effort. <laughs> it's like I'm not even giving them a date. It's a B minus for effort. Oh, but like Beauty and the Beast, that is, it is one of my favorite films. And yeah, like, definitely. Because a lot of people are just like, but it's Stockholm Syndrome. I'm like, I can, I understand where they're coming from. I get it. But there's also the thing of, maybe this, it, mm, yeah. I also, when it comes to the things like that, I just think people are reading too much into a film that's mm-hmm. like, just, it, it, it's a fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah. And like, yeah. Fairy tales usually are fables and have a, a moral to them, but they're not, they're not as deep as that. It, it can be seen as that, yeah. but then you can also see that with Bell being there is how it changed the beast as well. The... Yeah, because he could have stayed being an absolute grump and being like, get out of my sight, and just like throwing food all over the place. He could have just been like, you stay in your room, you can rot, but he he made an effort. Yeah. He didn't have to. And it wasn't just like, oh, if I don't make an effort, then, you know, I- I'm definitely going to, like, stay this way. But instead it was just like, you know, actually, maybe this, like, doesn't have to, like, be the end. And even if I do stay this way, at least I'll have a friend. And it's just, he wasn't trying to become human again. He was basically just like, no, I'm a beast. I'm going to stay like this. I'm angry. And it's just like, okay maybe i'm a beast but do i have to be angry like for me it's kind of an example of two people who ultimately change each other for the best Hmm. see i see it more like they 
inspire each other to change themselves for themselves with the benefit of others. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And of course, he he doesn't. The way that I see it's like he doesn't like Adam doesn't change for Bell. He changed because of Bell inspiring him to be a better person. Mm -hmm. Like I think. In the end, as well, he also changed for the benefit of the people that worked for him, like Lumiere and Cogsworth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. were the, the kind of catalysts for his change as, as much as Bell was, in a way. Yeah, there's. I think if it was like redeveloped now, there, there could be like a, a stronger element of the whole self care and self love thing, but that's mm-hmm. for the 90s. That's. Yeah, you know, it's. It's something. <laughs> it's, and again, yeah. um, you have to kind of talk about the music involved in it and all of these things. And it's um, this this was um, obviously this was while Howard Ashman, the, the lyricist, was um, uh, was the dying dying of AIDS. Um, and um, there's a I recently watched the documentary on him on Disney Plus called Howard, which is a recommended watch. Certain, it's it, it's a very good insight into that period of, of time, and um, there's there's kind of stuff that you don't notice until you know of Howard's story within like contained within the lyrics and the themes of Beauty and the Beast are very kind of subtle overtones to his life and to what he was going through at the time, mm. specifically with um, the mob song. There's a there's a um, a lyric in it that says uh, we don't like what we can't understand in fact it scares us mm. which kind of sums up people's attitudes towards AIDS victims at the time yeah yeah which um interestingly um it was denied in the documentary that it had that kind of deeper meaning but I suppose if you want it to have that deep meaning then it can yeah. do for you you know it's I mean they they deny it but like it's one of those things of people can sort of be like oh no that's not my intention at all and then like maybe it is but for them it is but outward it's just like no I mean there might have been a there might have been an aspect of the beast that he maybe saw himself in kind of parable of an outsider shunned by society Mm. It's an interesting character study with the Beast and um, all of the kind of characters that surround him. Um, I find Gaston really interesting as well as a villain because um, I've always said in like my reviews and stuff that um, the best villains are the ones that talk sense, mm. the ones that are um, justified, they're just going about it in the wrong way. But mm. watching him makes me realise that it can work in the in completely opposite direction mm. as well. But you, but it's really easy to make a villain who is hateable because he's just a detestable person. Which yeah. is what Gaston is. Yeah, but he's like, who doesn't know a Gaston in real life, though? Oh God, we all know a Gaston. Right? <laughs> like my ex is a bit of a Gaston. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just spill that tea. <laughs> oh. Mm, oh. Whew. Um. All I'm going to say about my ex is he's the best mistake I ever made. I have learned so much just from him being a 
horrid person <laughs> and it's just it's it's the hardest way a person should learn their self worth but like at least I know now I guess you do like thanks for the added trauma but you know <laughs> you do learn more from your mistakes than your successes yeah. I suppose yeah yeah but it's 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 how it's context i'll i'll tell you after the call <laughs> <laughs> oh but, there's some tea to be spilled later on i should i should look forward to that i do I like mean, tea it's not, it's, it's not it's not great <laughs> but it's it's also the thing of like i know now that i don't deserve to be spoken or treated the way that i did and um i think that the, the simplest way that I can put it when a person says no they mean no take yeah. it as consent is I think, um, that's, a that's hugely a, important thing it's very vital with so that, many different things so just yeah <laughs> that's, an, that's an important lesson that can be learnt from the character of Gaston too um, right. because he, he's just someone else who just doesn't seem to get the hint that Belle's not interested I mean how many times does Belle have to be like no, not interested. I'd rather read the book, but thanks. You have three incredibly beautiful goddesses like right there who are interested in you. Just like choose one of them. Hell, choose all three of them if they're into polyamory. Like uh. he also like comes across as that really creepy guy that you meet on Tinder who's like imagining you with children after the first date. He's like exactly like one of those people too. He creeps me out, let alone. Let alone anybody else. It's just the whole thing of just like, yeah, I'm jacked. I'm a pretty face. I'm like, okay, but what else you got? I'm. It's also quite interesting <laughs> in in the remake. I found I, I quite liked the um what Luke Evans did with him. Mm. I think Luke Evans is probably my favourite part of that um remake and not just because i have a massive crush on luke evans no no dear no um <laughs> like luke evans has got on i was a bit like maybe bill could just maybe just sit down and talk with him and just be like know, right? your, your behavior's kind of like inappropriate and like just you know bring out the tlc and be like i don't want to scrub like <laughs> if you if you, you know just Add a bit of spice girls which like if you want to be my lover you gotta get with my friends also my dad and his you know like you know scientist side just add a bit of respect oh aretha franklin yes just this is what i grew up on the 90s <laughs> self-empowered women <sighs> <sighs> well there's a yeah. lot of lessons to be learned in beauty and the beast um yeah. I'd, when I did my top 10 animated films last month or so, or maybe two months ago, Booting the Beast was my second top. Um, all three of my top three picks are in the Renaissance era, which probably mm. tells you, um, probably gives away roughly about something about my age as well, because I think that everyone around our age has a preference for the Renaissance, and anyone who's kind of older than us will have more fond memories of the classic Disney films. Yeah, I like very, I just watching something like Snow White and I'm just like really really oh we're going there are we okay no no it was a different time angel <laughs> it, it was a very 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 different time 
But also, like, the, the way that they did the animations where they actually got, like, live models to come into the studio and, you know, do dances and sort of essentially pose for them. That's, that's kind of the weird thing about Snow White is it still holds up visually now, even though yeah. it's like 80 years old, it still looks quite nice. Stunning. It's still stunning. But I, like... I, I, I found it really difficult to, to, to write about it because I was very kind of conscious about using the word dwarfs when I was writing about it. Yeah, because it's like, are we going with like the, the fantasy elements or are these actual real life people? Well, that's that. That's how I justified. That's how I justified it to myself that I was writing about these kind of fantasy animals called dwarfs rather than little mm. people, basically. Yeah. Yeah, which is in and of itself problematic because there's, you know, like I said, with the hunchback, where it's just like, oh, we're just wearing a costume. It's like disabled people just aren't viewed as people. We're Subspecies. There's so much more. There's there's (laughs) so much more subtlety to 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 hunchback and beauty than just that basic mass in there. Which I I suppose we'll we'll get to later because we're going in order. Um, Because after Beauty and the Beast came another big success, Aladdin. Mm. Aladdin. Um, Which, of course, um, would be. do you think it'd be fair in saying it wouldn't be as memorable if it went for Robin Williams? I think that is actually really fair because Genie is my favourite character. Because um, I think Aladdin, if you take, he made, if you take he made it. Genie, if you take Genie out of the equation, Aladdin becomes yeah. a kind of generic by the numbers sort of film. Mm. But with Genie added, it's got that kind of anarchic sense of humour about it. Yeah, and obviously there's a nice undercurrent with Aladdin and Jasmine and the kind of juxtaposition and all that, but yeah. it is really Genie <laughs> that makes the film for me. It is like my favorite characters for Aladdin is Genie, Yago, and then Jasmine in that order. Sorry, Jasmine. There we go. With Dutch pronunciations again. Yeah. <laughs> so is it is it actually pronounced Yago in English? Iago. Oh, that's just ridiculous. Although it should be Iago, <laughs> not Iago. I'm just, I'm just like, it's, it's, it's... But this also was. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a uh, moment with like languages where it's just like Iago, but it's Iago. I mean, I could just go full on and be like Yako. <laughs> like, that's, that's. Yeah, okay. So, Iago. Iago, yeah. Um, Aladdin was also a trendsetter in that it was the first kind of animated film to cast a major celebrity in one of its voice yeah. roles. Yeah. Um, of course, we all know that Robin Williams is a mold brick, but then there was also Gilbert Gottfried was Iago too, which was another kind of... Um, because then that set the tone for pretty much the rest of the era. Because if, if you think from there, uh, The Lion King had Matthew Broderick and James L. Jones and yeah. Nathan Lane, and people out like that. Tarzan had Brian Blessed and Minnie Driver. And then um, Phil Collins with um, the music. Pardon me? Uh, Phil Collins with the music. In Tarzan, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that then... was um, 
after the, the successful experiment that was having Elton John doing The Lion King. Yeah. And I think with Hercules, it was Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito and Hercules oh. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Milan had Eddie Murphy. Um, yeah, but but the thing you can say about Disney's celebrity castings is they 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 always worked for the character. They never felt like they were stunt casting. Right. They it's like they were made for each other. Like you can't separate um, Danny DeVito from Phil in the same way that you can't separate the genie from Robin Williams or Mushu from Eddie Murphy. They were they just kind of indelibly linked with each other. I think if somebody else played those characters, the tone for the film would be completely different. Yeah, they're they're very much the kind of the middle of the spider diagram, if mm. you like. Then they're not the main character, but they're the tent pole around which everyone else dances. Yeah, I was going to say they're like the foundation blocks. Everything else would just crumble if they went there. Because pretty much once the genie is introduced to Aladdin. The rest mm. of the film is people reacting to the things the genie has done. Yeah. Like the, the like the genie will grant a wish and then people will react to that event and like it'll be people reacting to how he's acting and the wishes he grants, etc. Mm. Yeah. Unless we forget that um they also decided to, to cast Broadway actors in their animated films as well. Um, one surprising thing that I that I found out watching the the Howard documentary was that um, Jerry Orbach, who some of you some people might recognise as the kind of older detective from Law and Order that always seems to be on repeat on British television, is uh, Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, he played um, the dad in Dirty Dancing, right? He did. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, and, that's that's where I know him from. Where it's just like, yeah, again with the thing where it's just like the older you get, the more you relate to the parents. And I'm just like, the dad just wanted a family holiday, and then Lumiere just he just wanted to get on with things. <laughs> I I didn't know that he was Lumiere, but now that I know, I can't help yeah. but hear his detective character from Law and Order when I hear him singing "Be Our Guest." <laughs> yeah, now I I um that's another thing where it's just like. I it I can't watch that in English. It just sounds wrong. Especially Be Our Guest. That's my favourite song. And it's just, in English, it's just, it messes with my mind. <laughs> so I, I don't actually know what Lumiere sounds like in English. So did you grow up watching these films in Dutch then? Yeah. Um, I think it was from The Lion King onwards. No, Aladdin. Aladdin was in English because Robin Williams. Um, yeah, Aladdin onwards, it was English. Although I think Hunchback was Dutch. I remember. Can we just um, have yeah. like like a moment's respect for whoever had to dub Robin Williams? It it doesn't hit the same. I tried watching it in Dutch, and I'm just like, what? That's because it's an impossible what? task. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm just like, wait, but Yago, saying that in English. I just remember yeah. the name in Dutch. They ended up with an, an insane oh, amount of recordings for the genie as well. Sorry? 
they ended up with an insane amount of recordings for the genie, like yeah. 250 hours worth of him of Robin Williams improvising stuff. What he does best, isn't it? Yeah, just like he'd turn up and as he was improvising, the animators would animate to what he was saying. So, mm. uh, and that's how they, their arrangement kind of went. He would come in and improvise, and then the animators would draw around his work, which yeah. works for the film, obviously, because when you think of Aladdin, you think of the genie, which, and I, I think that's kind of where the the remake fell down is that they didn't they didn't make the genie different enough. I think it, if you're going to remake a film like that and recast yeah. a character like the genie, you try and do something completely different with it. Like Will Smith. Yeah, but Will Smith just seemed like he was playing Will Smith. That's the. It's still kind of for me. It works. I'm just looking at the the titles, and the reason why I'm getting confused with Iago's name is because the sequels are in Dutch. For me, mm-hmm. I had the Dutch sequels because I don't think they were released in cinema. They didn't do that well. No, they were straight to di- yeah. straight to video. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had the the videos in Dutch, hence why I'm getting confused with the name. Like, wait, <laughs> I know I watched Aladdin in English, but why why am I with the name? So it's yeah, the sequels were in Dutch. Because <laughs> one of the sequels had um, Dan Dan Castellanella voiced the genie instead of Robin Williams. Mm. Uh, and at that point, is it really? I can't. I, can't I, I might as well be watching it. I might as well watch it in a different language if it ain't Robin Williams. And then um, from Aladdin, yeah. we wind up at my favourite animated film of all time, The Lion King. But it's just Hamlet with lions. It was a re- it was a real difficult choice choosing between this and Beauty and the Beast. I'm not gonna lie. I just I mean I it just I mean it's the Lion King. I do have love for it, but it's not one of my all time favorites. I just I think as I said earlier, it entirely depends on how old you are as to what your favorites are. Mm-hmm. Is mm. you'll undoubtedly remember those most fondly, which you grew up with. Like I grew up with. Toy Story, which are amongst some of my favourite films, and The Lion King. Whereas you'd have been like a few years before that, so you'd have had like a preference for Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast, maybe Little yeah. Mermaid. And someone born after me would have like a preference for maybe Lilo and Stitch or Atlantis or something like that. Oh my god, Lilo and Stitch and Atlantis, yes. I love them so much. I mean the. So yeah, I'm just like one of those where it's just like, eh, but also a little bit like it's just a bit eclectic. I mean, I could even say that Emperor's was... New Groove was kind of my era as well, but. Ah. Oh, Cusco? You mean the poison? The poison for Cusco? Cusco's poison? I love him. I love him. Isn't that? Um, I want to say Walter. Yeah. Hey, yeah. But yeah, with with Lion King, it was just, it's it is just Hamlet with. Lions. The the best thing about Lion King for me was it's voiced by um, Simba's voiced by Jonathan Taylor Thomas, right? Matthew Broderick. I thought the the young the young the young Simba might have been, but the adult Simba was Matthew Broderick. <clears throat> yeah, hang on, let me because I'm I'm on the Wikipedia. Um, pretty sure. For me, I, it works I, because um of the as you say the adaptation of Hamlet 
into animals. The animation style is where they were, they just found their groove at the perfect mm-hmm. time. They'd just come off Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and found yeah. that nice swing of things and mixed it with um, song, the songs by Elton John, which were brilliant as yeah. well. Like the circle of life is still relevant today. I'm just looking at the cast, and Young Simba is voiced by Jonathan Taylor Thomas, whom I had one of the biggest crushes on when I was a kid. So, oh, yeah, how cute! That, that was the only reason that I wanted to watch that. But again, with the whole thing of watching it as an adult, you're relating more to the adults. Um, <clears throat> it's it's very relevant because your your latest tattoo. Do you want to maybe? Oh yeah, um, it's a good time to do this because um, yeah. last, last Friday I actually had Scar tattooed on my uh, leg. I've, I've got um, the the animated Scar, the original animated Scar with uh, I'm surrounded by idiots, which is one of my favourite um, quotes of his. I relate um, to you so much. It's <laughs> it was such a great piece, and there are photos of it on my social media. I love it it's, so much, um, but that epic. just shows like how much I love this film. Like from the yeah. from the opening, the opening scene is a perfect opening to yeah. to an animated film. It has no dialogue; it's just a song and wonderful imagery. Like from that sun rising and that first note, which I'm not even going to try because I don't know Swahili, but it's, it all translates to "Look, there's a lion" or something like that, and it's just <laughs> yeah. it's perf- perfectly framed, perfectly animated. Yeah. And um, the the song's brilliant as well. As um, I think it's the Lion King where they um, advance the technology so much with it. There's the um, there's a stampede scene where they used CGI, and yes, that's one of the first sort of really innovative pieces where it's just like, okay, we're going to use animated, but like CGI animation. Yeah, the, the the Renaissance era is when they really started mixing traditional animation and computer animation. Uh-huh. Going all the way back to the rescuers, they actually used computer animation on the rescuers down under. Uh-huh. Um, and they enhanced certain Renaissance films with computer animation, like the ballroom scene and Beauty and the Beast. That was enhanced with computers. Um, certain bits in Aladdin was, and as you said, the, the stampede in The Lion King. Yeah. It was The focus of the animation style was traditional animation. It was just given that extra kind of boost with a little bit of computer magic. Yeah, because I remember watching a, a documentary a good few years ago um, where they were showing like how they tried to do the, the stampede where it's like, right, we're trying to use CGI, but we're also trying to like not have things be duplicated. So we're trying to make the different... Um, oh, what is it? I can see them. They're see them. antelopes, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Let's let's say antelopes. Mm. And it's just like they were trying to make sure that the, it wasn't too duplicated and they were having issues with that. I'm like, oh my God, this is fascinating. Yeah. And then that's where my love for, for film and everything started. I was like, I want to, I want to do this. <laughs> I, would, I would love to do animation, but my drawing style doesn't really go beyond stick men. So... Mm. <laughs> Um, but the Lion King is also another good example of side characters kind of almost stealing the show with Timon and Pumbaa coming in and Zazu, <laughs> is it Zazu? and and Zazu? I forgot about Zazu. Yeah, Rowan Atkinson being all sarcastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, Timon and Pumbaa are just yeah. Because they're like fan favorites, aren't they? Didn't they had an animated series, right? They did. They did. This was in the era when like every Disney film had an animated spin-off. Like 
all yeah. of them. And there's like a, a really cheap animated TV series on Disney Junior or what have you. Mm-hmm. But Simone so and Pumbroon have like the, their own Simone film Pumbre, as well. Yeah. yeah. Not sure whether you remember the Lion King from. Wait, let me. Oh, I'm gonna have to go. Wait, Tim, I can't spell that. Right, Timon and boom. But now I'm just like, wait, is that like. Oh, it's just got one O in it. Okay. Yeah, the Lion, the, the Lion King 3, or the Lion King 1.5, as it was known in the US, was um, the story of the Lion King. Well, a bit before the Lion King, from like how Timon and Pumba met. And then how they ended up in the plot of the Lion King. So it's basically the Lion King from the point of view of Timon and Pumba. Ah, oh, okay. But okay. it also had this kind of this really famous catchy song in it. Have, have you ever heard the Digatuna song? Digatuna, dig, Digatuna. That's that's from Lion King three as well. It's one of those things. Of, if I had listened to the actual song, I might be a bit like. Maybe I just I didn't really care for the Lion King, so it's because there was a, another animated series where it's like I think it's like the Cubs. Oh, like, the Lion the Guard. Have, yeah, they they have their own like the kids have their own thing. I was like, yeah. But, I remember, I remember watching the kind of TV movie that launched the TV series and being like, well, this is awful. <laughs> why would they, yeah, see, why I, would they I do this? I completely missed that. I missed that. I didn't care for it. I was... <laughs> it also really um, began a kind of lifelong affinity for me for Nathan Lane, who, who voices Timon, who I think is brilliant. Yeah. Um, Again, it's another thing where it's just like it's it's the actors that make the characters as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's very much just kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's very much his kind of neurotic New York accent that does it for me. Um, yeah. But he, he's also um, Max Bielestock in The Producers, which is one of my favourite musicals. And um, he's brilliant in that too. Yeah. He's so good. He's so funny. Um, and of course, Matthew Broderick as well, who would also be in The Producers. Oh, yeah. Okay, see, now I'm going to have to watch The Lion King again. I haven't watched the live action yet. I mean, I say live action. I mean... It's not live action, is it? It's animated. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I haven't seen the update. The reboot. Oh, my God. It's, um... (sighs) It it tries too much to be a shot-for-shot remake, and the animation style is very uncanny valley. Um, The the closer you get to replicating real-life things, the worse it looks for me. And that's a, it's like you're kind of watching a, a National Geographic documentary, but where the animals sing instead of fornicate. Oh, that's. I'm, I'm just processing that last bit. Ooh, okay, maybe I'll just not feel so guilty for not watching that yet. Just, also, I'll kind just, of. I'll just keep it on the never ending watch list. Just be like, just rewatch Lilo. It's Lilo's also thing. really weird to watch, like photorealistic animals animated to talk like watching this realistic rendering of an animal doing something it can never do is kind of like really Jacob weird in, to in like watch. wolf mode in twilight where it's just like so awkward knowing that that's taylor lautner in like a green suit <sighs> but, but the, the, the thing is yeah. like everybody's love for <laughs> these just... films is now being like 
milked for every penny it can be with mm. remakes and re- reboots and reimaginings and reasons to despair for the creative industry. Yeah. <sighs> um, for example, Mulan. But I think oh, that's, that's <laughs> a whole rabbit hole. Oh, that that's a rage fest. I've not bothered watching it yet because I'm I'm going to listen to Chinese people that have watched it and be like, it's trash. Like if you say it's trash, I believe you. Like the I'm day that I fork it. out twenty pounds to watch a film on a premium subscription service that I have already paid for is mm-hmm. the day when when I um, floss my teeth with razor wire. I mean, capitalism has its uses. But um, this form and, of capitalism also, um, could go into the hellfire. <laughs> like that's then, actually then, taking advantage then, of your your potential audience and just it, it's also uh, yeah doing that. I I think there's this trend, uh, not trend, this tactic I've noticed that Hollywood does, where it's just like, oh no, like if we add more diversity, if we do a story that's like centered on a person of color it's just not gonna do well our audience don't want it even though they're like screaming and begging us to have more diversity and to have a person of color as a lead it it just it won't be successful and then they'll do it reluctantly and it'll be the like low quality it'll be incredibly problematic or there'll be some sort of a clause where it'll turn around and be like see we told you it wouldn't work. And it's just like, well, yeah, if you're going to like mess up the, like, if you're not even going to bother paying attention to the culture of, of these people, if you're not going to bother, you know, actually making it accessible to people, what do you expect? But the thing is that whole kind of thinking of people of colour leading a film won't work has been proven to be untrue multiple times. Hmm. If you think of, think of Star Wars The Force Awakens, for instance. Um, I think it's either the third or the fourth highest grossing film of all time and it's two leads are a black man and a woman mm. so you know the whole argument that p- people of colour can't lead a cast and make money is completely ridiculous I mean, uh, but my biggest well, issue know. with Hello. the remake of Mulan is yeah. um, the, the, the filming close to the concentration camps of and I really can't pronounce the name of the subsection of Chinese. Mm. I'm going to give it a go, but I'm going to butcher it. I think it's Uga, 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 something like that. A kind of native Muslim community of China whose name I can't pronounce. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, and um, it, Mulan was filmed in part really close by to one of the camps and. Some of the workers at the camps got a special thanks on the credits, oh. which is very problematic. Interesting. Yeah. And Interesting move. The thing is, I don't want it to be problematic because I want to see like a Chinese story like that. But um, the thing is, I, the thing is, I don't think it can be done justice by a company like Disney. Now, especially if they insist on having white people write it and direct it and produce it. Yeah. I mean, they claim to have had you know, people of colour on board. They've had Chinese people on board. But it's like, okay, we've got these people on board, but we're not listening. It we're feels just gonna, like kind of lip service. They're just, they're just, just put them there this. to say they're there. 
yeah, it's it's um, performative. Uh, it's just so disappointing. It's like if you want to watch an Asian film, there's mm. there's so many great choices yeah. out there. Like there is the a, Farewell, a, um, yeah. Crazy Rich two- Asians. Yeah, there's a 2009 version of Mulan um, that has um, what's his name? He's um, is he Russian? Um, Vitros. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one that does the um, is it Ulalia? I know the guy, but I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's in it. Yeah, it's because to be be fair, I don't really remember the original animated Mulan, and um, this is something we're gonna get to. Sorry, I just oh, I guess so. I agree about this because like it has three songs, just just three. It didn't get anything else, just three. I mean, (laughs) the next film we're gonna talk about is one I don't particularly remember all that much anyway. That's Pocahontas, which again is another kind of POC fronted film. With another yeah. really great score. Um, yeah. This is Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz before they did Hunchback. Yeah, and, um, those words, as an adult, I have to be like, this is an alternate universe. Also, how beautiful a song is Colours of the Wind. Ah, absolutely gorgeous. Such a great song. I just, I, I do have a lot of love for this film. It was one of my like favourite films growing up as a kid. But learning the actual history of um, Pocahontas, or rather, oh, yeah. um, I'm going to butcher her name. I'm sorry. I just, I think saying that is problematic. But it's um, Matawaka. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was like maybe 13. Yeah. Yeah, essentially stolen. And... No, sorry. Hang on. Um, eight, 11 or 12. Yep. Uncomfortable mm. history. Yeah, yeah. So she basically just got stolen and be like, "Yeah, she's my wife now." Um, but, but that's that's, that's, the, that's the thing the, when, you're making, the, when you're making a story the, about natives, you're going to have to romanticize it slightly because the reality <laughs> of, of history for Native Americans is uh, pretty grim. This got romanticized to the moon and back, though. Like Pocahontas, the film versus. Like what happened to Matoaka are just two completely different things. I mean, if if there was to do a realistic depiction of the history of the natives, it, it would, would be far too dark for this day. <laughs> it would be like it, it'd be something similar to Get Out, only the ending is a lot more traumatic and horrifying and raging juicing. Because it actually seems relatively self-aware for Disney to do a story like that. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they've all been kind of gung-ho American nationalism quite a lot in the past, especially when it was during the war. So to, to... In, in Pocahontas, white people literally get referred to as the white devil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is very self-aware for something like Disney. Yeah, yeah. But it still got incredibly romanticised, and yeah, she wanted to to go to to England and you know be married and live in society. That's I mean, 
if we're going to talk about romanticized and kind of Disney-fied, it doesn't really get much you, much more Disney-fied than the next film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which, as I've mentioned yeah. before, is one of my favorite films. Yeah. But um, the the stage version is better simply because it's more faithful to the book. Mm. Um, Hunchback of Notre Dame is not a story that should have a happy ending. No. It's 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 just not. It's it's a grim story. It's dark and I mean, very it's sad. Mermaid, though. I mean, the the uh, is it Hans Christian Andersen? It was it... um, it was the guy who wrote Victor Hugo. It was who wrote the Hunchback yeah. of Notre Dame. But yeah. with Little Mermaid, the ending um, to the actual story is she stitches her legs together, right? She kills mm. herself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Fairy tales are fucked up, man. Yeah, they really are. They, 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 they were stories to keep children in line. <laughs> it's like, oh, but, but yeah. So with with Hunchback of Notre Dame, yeah, that's what I've. Oh, what I like about Hunchback is um. It's a story about a relationship between a man and a woman. If we forget for a moment that Quasimodo is deformed and disabled and something, and we just think of him as a man and a woman in a story, but it's it's a story of how a man and a woman can have a platonic friendship without it needing to be romantic, and and how Quasimodo still sees the value in Esmeralda's life, even though she isn't interested in him romantically. Yeah, and I, I think that is what made me um, warm to Quasimodo as a character more than anything else. Is that even though he was hurt by by her not being in love with him, but being in love with uh, Phoebus, was that uh, he still he still valued her as a friend. He's just and, like I I love you to the point where it's like I want the best for you. So yeah, go on, girl, go get it. <laughs> Be happy, <laughs> and and the, it's not only that, but the the I think the relationship between her and and um, Phoebus is really sweet as well. Um, I really like Phoebus as a character too, and, and Esmeralda's great, and Frollo. Yeah. My God, Frollo is such a bastard. Yeah, again, he's one of those characters where it's just like we've all met one of those. Oof. And not to mention it, it has one. It has my my favorite score of any animated film, um, and the the transition between Heaven's Light and Hellfire is out of this world incredible. The, See, I don't. I haven't watched this film in so long, so I've not got to that point today yet. So basically, so I'm the, gonna have to keep the, watching the ju- it. Like, oh. the, the the juxtaposition is kind of like. It goes from like being this really dreamy light song where he dreams of being like in love and walking along the Seine, and then it immediate that song immediately finishes and transitions into a a dark kind of hymn hymn like thing where Frollo's singing about Esmeralda burning in hellfire, and it's and the the transition is like it sounds like church bells and ch- a church organ like a really yeah. kind of. Um, intimidating church organ. It's, it's when you watch it later, you'll see what I mean. It's yeah, because from great. my 
I vaguely remember is like there's such a contrast between like the two um, religious characters because there's the um, oh is he like an archbishop or the something? archdeacon <clears throat> yeah that's actually in the church yeah and he's just like you know quite a an encouraging supportive you know religious figure and then there's Frollo I mean he is is he a he's a judge he's a judge. He's a judge in the film, in the in the book and in the musical. He's the archdeacon. Um, so the See, archdeacon character. Yeah, I remember Frollo being like, like a higher up religious figure for some reason. No. It, no. Okay, the, that's that's probably just me like projecting. If you remember the lyrics, like, yeah, you've got to, like religious um, organization and then an actual spiritual person that's an archdeacon. Like, if you the, remember the, the um, the bells of Notre Dame refers to him as Judge Frollo. Huh. Um, but um, as I say in the musical and in the original book, he's the archdeacon of the church, which is how 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 um, Quasimodo ends up being the bell ringer. Um, and again, that kind of works better in the context of the book and in yeah. the musical. But in the film, um, as you see, the that moment where he's about to drop Quasimodo in the well, which again is incredibly dark mm. for Disney. Yeah, because um, 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 watching it this morning, that point he just calls him like the devil's demon, yeah. or at least in Dutch he's referred to as the devil's demon. Because I'm, I'm watching everything in Dutch at the moment. Because why not? <laughs> It's just like, oh wow, you're you're that kind of okay. So you see, wow. in the in the book, eugenics all in one. In the book, what stops him is the the kind of stone facades of the of the saints of the church. Like he he thinks that they're looking at him and judging him, whereas in the film, it's the archdeacon comes out and stops him. Yeah. Um. But the but I can see how like the. The stone facades of the saints would have been a bit kind of abstract to animate, which is why they made up this character. Well, I think with the if they use the the gargoyles to just sort of like stare at him, it it well that also happens, but that's kind of after the actor yeah. says something. Yeah, and then um, and also the gargoyles in the the musical are um facades of saints rather than like comedy characters they're just kind of they're heavily implied to be to just be in Quasimodo's head mm. and that they're, they're the facades of saints instead <clears throat> I yeah. could I could literally talk all day about why I love Hunchback of Notre Dame mm. so much how because it just it's a really dark film but it's got such a a true heart as well. Like Quasimodo is one of like the the purest heroes Disney have ever had. He's just such a sweet little cinnamon roll. He is. He's so he's so adorable. Yeah, just have so much better. <laughs> and then they went and so ruined it better. by giving him a love interest in the sequel. I don't think I've uh, actually watched the sequel. Don't don't watch the sequel. Done. It's awful. I'm gonna have to now. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, how bad is bad? Oh, that bad. Okay. Okay. Like... First of all, Hunchback of Notre Dame doesn't need a sequel. <laughs> and second of all, 
Quasimodo shouldn't have a love interest. He's 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 a, 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 a Why character. Why does he have love? <laughs> I missed that. Sorry, I was yelling too much. <laughs> but yeah, I just there's, oh, there's also a massive like the plot of Hunchback of Notre Dame too revolves around someone wanting to steal this jewel-encrusted bell in the tower, but the jewels are on the inside of the bell. So when the bell rings, it would destroy the jewels. That doesn't... How? How is that... That is that... It's, not, I, it's like a massive bell with jewels all on the inside, so it's completely useless as a bell. Just... Oh, Disney... This was during that era when they were pumping out like directed DVD sequels to every film they could think of. Yeah. I don't remember any of this. Like the Probably for the, the best. And like there's sequels to like Cinderella and they have kids. No, it's it's the little mermaid where it's Melody. Is it Melody? Yeah. There's two sequels to Cinderella. Yeah, and then there's like one where it's They've basically gone back to the future kind of thing. I'm pretty sure there's two to Little Mermaid as well because there's Ariel's beginning, so there's like a an origin story for Ariel. I I don't really know, and I'm sure there's also a third one for Ariel for Little Mermaid as well. This it was such a weird time the mid 2000s for Disney because they were basically they were just taking any film that had like. Value and pumping out a really low effort obligatory sequel. <laughs> like, um, we all I think know. made about Franchise. three sequels to Lilo and Stitch as well. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we're getting off topic now. We're off topic now. <laughs> we're wondering. So yeah, so the next one would be Hercules, right? The next one is Hercules, yes. Uh-oh. Honey, you mean Huncules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just... Oh, I had the biggest crush on Megara. Just <laughs> yeah. And again, I, can we I talk about um? Can we talk about celebrity castings? Um, James Woods as Hades. Hades, yes. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> I relate to him so much because it's just like you're in love with a boy. Like, yep, yep. I I he's... think that's that's. Me. He's a really relatable villain who's like, obviously a really horrible person, but he's also really funny as well. It's I'm kind of like, but, but what exactly makes him a villain? Really? <laughs> well, well, hmm. but it's also just, he's just everything I aim to be in life. <laughs> so you aim to have a fire on your head. Um, what kind of a flaming gay would I be if I didn't? Because <laughs> <laughs> he literally is, though. Um, <clears throat> let me try and compose myself. Sorry, so let the, me get my cup of tea. There's Hades, then there's also, as we mentioned, Danny DeVito's Phil, who is just perfect for that part. Um, Danny DeVito's got such a distinctive voice and style mm-hmm. that... Philate is just wouldn't have worked without his kind of really kind of grumpy New York accent. <laughs> I, I remember him um, going to watch uh, Joe Manager the Next Level, and um, mm. 
my favourite part of that film was watching Dwayne The Rock Johnson pretending to be Danny DeVito. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was probably the most I've ever enjoyed watching Dwayne Johnson. Oh, oh. Sounds like fighting talk, but I, I also I, I kind of get it. Cause <laughs> when they did the whole switch up things, it was so hilarious. It was. Just Jack Black is... Um, Oh, what's the girl's name? Danny Glover. Was uh, he Danny Glover in that one? No, that was Kevin Hart. He was Danny Glover, wasn't mm. he? Um, yeah. But yeah, J- Jack-, Jack Black was one of the girls, but he was also one of the girls in the first one as well. Yeah. Which was really funny. And it's just absolutely hilarious. Like, the timing of them all. Just, yes. Also, just Karen Gillan. And um, if we were referring to this kind of through line of um, Alan Menken in this as well. Mm. He also did Hercules' score um, with another little lyricist. He he seems to be like the one constant throughout the entire thing, and like yeah. his quality, the quality of his scores never never dwindles, never wavers. Mm-hmm. And he he of course would carry on through from the Renaissance. He would do um, Tangled later on. Enchanted yeah. would also be one of his. Uh, Home on the Range was also another one of his, and um, he's been involved with the remakes as well. So he's written new new songs for Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and things like that. Aren't they um, doing a, a remake, a reboot with Hercules? Uh, it's not on the cards at the moment. There is a Hunchback remake on the cards. There is. There they're is. going with. They're going with. Oh, oh, oh no. There is, um, oh. from what I'd seen and heard, it's going to be quite similar to the stage version. And I'd seen a rumoured casting of Peter Capaldi as Frollo, which I thought was quite interesting. Oh my god! I, know, I right? see it, I see it though. You I do, don't you? That is terrifying. But like, who are they going to get as Quasi? Uh, Josh Gad, apparently. Let me wait. Um, how do we spell his surname? He would be um, um, LeFou from Beauty and the Beast. From the remake of Beauty and the Beast. He's also Olaf from Frozen. Uh-huh. He's going to be quasi. He's this- producing too. Oh, so he's. he's produ- yeah. So he's producing. He's producing and hopefully starring as Quasimodo, yeah. Um, I have issues with that, but alright. He has a really nice voice, so you oh, know. Yeah, I'm not denying that, but it's just we're go- gonna get a an able bodied appearing person being a disabled character. I'm uh, sorry, but I'm over for that. I want own voices, I want accuracy. I didn't I think want of that. Like actual representation. I'm just I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm tired. I just I, 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 I suppose <laughs> when you're casting, really a, really when you're casting we, a character like Cosimodo, it's difficult though, isn't it? When you're trying to find We do have actors. Um oh god, he was in he was in that really weird film with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> no, we had to watch. Oh no, wait, you wasn't there last year. 
I mean, I'm sure there is actors. I want no, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look at her. Right, hang on. Okay, yeah, she's nice. Um, bear with, bear with. Sorry, I'm just I've I've been rewatching Miranda. Miranda. So you have a um, you have a prevailing memory of going to see Hercules in cinema, do you? I do. I just like absolutely loving everything and begging my mum for a Megara doll. And I was got this... I um her dress, the skirt part, it had like drawstrings and it was purple and you could actually like use the drawstrings so the dress could be shorter and I was just like, I love her. I had forgotten about Meg, she's a great character. Yeah. Um, had you been to see that in, in Dutch then or in English? So this is the part where I'm just like, I don't actually recall because i i reckon I it'd be really it would have been english dutch subtitles because that, that part during the 90s they would have started just showing things in the original language and then just dub it because i reckon it'd be really odd to hear phil as a dutch person <laughs> without his without danny devito in the same way they'd be really odd to, to hear the genie without robin williams mm-hmm. being dubbed over it's not worth it Do you have um, any other like films that you remember going to see as a kid? Any like Disney films, Pixar films, stuff like that? No, it's just Hercules that I oddly just remember. I don't really have all that. I know that I went as a kid, and I know that I went before this, but I think my first real memory is of Finding Nemo, which mm. was 2003. But I know that I went before it. I could have possibly gone see Toy Story 2 in cinema as well. Um, but I remember going to see Finding Nemo and The Incredibles. Um, so basically, like I was when it came to cinema visits, I was more of a Pixar viewer. But I would get like, the Disney films. I had them on VHS, which mm-hmm. you kids won't remember these days, but we had to rewind films after we used them. Ooh, the that was always fun, especially when they got stuck. <sighs> Especially when um, you you would watch the same film over and over again, so the tape would wear itself out. Mm. Yeah, I think my sister did that with um, oh god, what's it called? La Bamba. She used to just watch that on repeat. La Bamba, the one yeah. with Lou Diamond Phillips. Mm. Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah, she was like four years older than me. She was. She still is. She still oh, is four years was. older than me. <laughs> um, yeah, and she just play it on repeat, and just like rewind it. And my granddad just be like, "Are you sure you don't want to watch something else? <laughs> Are you sure?" Right. So I found the actor's name mm-hmm. and a potential. I think if it's the the right one. Wait, where's the pictures? Yeah. Um, Adam Pearson. Mm. Has he been in? Because he was in Under the Skin. Um, Odd Man Out, um, Chained for Life, and Redemption. Oh, I think I know the one you're talking about. He's a, he's a, um, is he a motivational speaker as well? I he's think got, so. Yeah. He's got a kind of d- deformed face, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, if I yeah, and I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. 
Because I've I've seen him on Twitter. I think I follow him on Twitter. Mm. A quite open conversation. So just to confirm, that's who I'm babbling about. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like if if they got him involved, accurate representation, actually getting a disabled actor to portray a disabled character. I think you know, it's because they have to. So, um, and then after Hercules, we come on to yeah. Mulan, which we've already spoken a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is one of my like top favorite Disney films because Mulan herself, yes, the Shang, yes, please, just <laughs> can, can I just? I love him so much. I think this and Pocahontas. I've either I've either never seen them before, or I've seen them and it was it was a very long time ago because I, I don't really have any recollection but Mulan would be what I would call the last see I, I would qualify this as more the last renaissance film than I would call Tarzan a renaissance film yeah yeah because it's that style and the, the style trip changed drastically for yeah. Tarzan yeah and again going back to the whole thing of like watching it as an adult relating to the adults the grandmother, there's the scene near the end where um, Shang comes to sort of like the, the family home and Milan invites him for dinner and the grandma's shouting, do you want to stay forever? And I'm just like, get it, grandma. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> Horny grandmas. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> Disney presents Horny Grandmas. Right, she has a very valid point because Ishang is. We could have hair. Everything. We could have um, Coco. Yeah. <laughs> Coco could have a crush on um one of the spirits. Yeah. Old old girls gone wild. The Disney production. Yeah, it's like if they if they decided to do a a more. Yeah, I was gonna say if they decided to do a, an actual reboot, it's like they did and they ruined it. Um, but there's there's one sort of Korean idol that I think would be a perfectly Shang, and I'll send you the music video, and you'll get it. <laughs> Is he someone from K-pop by any chance? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's from a group called EXO. He's called Kai, and mm. it's just he he just looks perfect for. Lee Shang would it not be problematic to cast a Korean in a Chinese film there is there is that there is that because so, it's just a non-Chinese person portraying a Chinese person I mean to some western audiences there, there wouldn't be a there wouldn't be a discernible difference but of course yeah because to westerners it's just like oh Asian guy yeah because but, but of course in their their cultures are, are, are very different. And mm-hmm. like there was, I remember reading about a, a particularly famous sumo wrestler in Japan who had to um, hide the fact he was Korean because otherwise he wouldn't, he would have been held back in his career. So he had to pretend he was from Japan. Yeah, I can sort of understand that with the, the tensions, and I say that lightly, between Japan and Korea. The, the history that they've had, recent history too. We've mentioned it before, especially. Yeah, especially the, like 
pre-post-war era, Asia was kind of... There's a lot of conflict there. Shall we move on to Taliban? Because we can we can do a whole segment on, on yeah, that. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> we could go on about Asian uh, culture for, for a while and the conversation yeah. would basically be you uh, fawning over BTS for the first, like, well, for the majority hey. of it. This time I mentioned X. Oh, you don't know about the whole X and BTS thing, right? I shall fill you in on that. This, oh this... God, not this rabbit hole. That will take a week to explain because some quote unquote fans are wild and ridiculous. And I guess. Friends. I mean, they're friends, but the fans are very. Oh. There is. There I is no group I want to piss off less than the K-pop stands. They're they're dangerous and frightening, and I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, don't be a racist. Sorry, <laughs> this is relevant. I'll explain it later because racist journalists have struck again, and it's just just don't be complete and utter like just don't just don't just if your opinion is very racist and you know you want to refer to people that have done UN speeches and donated countless of money to charities silently until the media have bought the information and told people like just mm, don't be racist don't refer to them as little Korean boys and don't don't oh do. god like, yeah yeah, I mean, yeah so it's just like Okay, there's microaggressions, and then there's... Aggressions, aggressions. Yeah, and then... And then, you know, you get called out for your racism, where it's just like, um, yeah, this is actually quite problematic. Like, they're not just little boys because of, you know, the charity that they do. So could you maybe just tone it down a little? (gasps) How dare you insult me like this? I'm like, okay, wow. Anywho, Tarzan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to me beating on my chest about this. Hey, hey. Welcome to Uh, my TED Talk. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Tarzan. It's um, classed as being the the last Renaissance film. As I said, I wouldn't wouldn't categorise it as a Renaissance film because it looks completely different. It sounds a bit different. The yeah. mu- the music it's a very tonal shift from one era to another I think but um that doesn't mean it's not good because I I do enjoy it um mm. I like the 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 world they built around the the apes yeah. and um and it had a, a really another really good villain whose name I can't remember now Brian Blessed's character um although. So I can't remember his name. I could listen to Brian Blessed talk all day. Um, Just listening to him swear. Oh, like, it's amazing, isn't it? The best thing ever. It's just... I don't know what it is about Blind... Oh, my God, I can't... Oof. I saw him flash Gordon for the first <laughs> time the other week. And, um, oh, my God! I love it! I mean, and, it's problematic, but I love it. And even though I didn't think much to it as a film, I thought Brian Blessed yeah. was incredible in it because he just he just looked like he didn't give a shit and he was having so much fun. Right? I mean, that's just Brian Blessed all around. But just, <laughs> oh, 
<gasps> Minnie Driver was Jane. She was. See, when I first watched oh. it, I thought I thought it was Emma Thompson because it sounds like her. Glenn Close is Carla. Okay. Rosie O'Donnell. She's the um, oh uh, tech. She's tech. Yeah. I was going to be like, oh my god, they got Nigel Hawthorne. I'm thinking Nigel Thornberry. <laughs> oh my god! Smashing. I was like, what? Nigel Hawthorne? But he's a cartoon. No, that was that was no, wasn't Nigel Hawthorne? Nigel. Oh my god! Wasn't Thornberry voiced by Tim Curry? Yes, he was. <laughs> Can I go back to sleep now, please? Well, we are nearly finished now, so. Uh... <laughs> oh my goodness! How are you not exhausted from me yet? I am. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm looking at the name. Lance Henriksen. I know that name. Oh, Bishop. Oh, okay. So the guy that plays Kerchak. Yeah, Lance James Henriksen. Yeah, he was Bishop in the Alien franchise. Wow. Mm. So by the by the end of kind of the Renaissance and Tarzan, it was the kind of last hurrah for traditional animation at Disney. Um, yeah. A lot of the focus along the 2000s was computer animation as the industry began to change and Pixar began to become big. Uh, there was this and then Princess and the Frog, which was the last kind of traditional animation film Disney did, which even though it's not widely within our topic of you know, Renaissance talk, it's, very, it's a very good film. Mm. I do like The Princess and the Frog. I, I like... Um, when Disney, especially when Disney soundtracks do different sounds, Alan Menken was really good at um, making different films on different fields. Like Hercules had like a really gospely sound uh. with the muses and what have you. Um, and if you go back to his pre-Disney days when he did Little Shop of Horrors, that was a very kind of 1950s rock and roll-esque feel. Oh my God, no, that makes so much sense. I didn't realise that was the same person. That makes so much sense now because I I, I rewatched um little uh, oh excited brain too fast wow hang on bear with cool okay so I rewatched little shop of horror mm-hmm. please tell me if it's just ooh. and I was saying to um Ryan the first my friend that I was watching it with that the the singers in that reminded me of the muses from Hercules yeah. It's, it's the same. It's it's the same person. That makes yeah. so much sense. Sorry, too excited. <laughs> Do you watch the 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 theatrical cut or the director's edition? Both, because I watched the one that we watched first, and Ryan remembered the the ending being completely different, where everybody basically dies, and I'm like, yeah, I much prefer that ending. What? But that's the the theatrical ending, right? No, that's the extended the, ending. The, oh, extended. Um, the 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 theatrical ending had a happy ending that the studio wanted. Okay, because um, I thought it meant theatrical was like the one that's more like the theatre production. Yeah, the that, the director's the director's cut had the um the famous ending where uh, Audrey Two is on top of the Statue of Liberty. Mm, mm. That's the director's cut ending. Yeah, because like we watched the ending to that afterwards and I was like, because we just skipped the full film just went straight to the ending like, huh I've never seen this this is terrifying what even 
And yeah. then, as for Alan Menken, as I said, mm. he would go on. It's still working at Disney now on various projects, as well as working at them pretty much non-stop for the past 30 years. Um, as I said, he did Home on the Range, past this, which was a country-tinged score. It wasn't a very good film, though, sadly. Um, I think I he did Tangled, which is a very nice film. Uh, Enchanted, which they're making a sequel to soon. Oh she's working on and um so the uh, the ending of the story for our two characters that i introduced at the beginning michael eisner and jeffrey katzenberg well michael eisner and jeffrey katzenberg had a big old falling out in the early 90s um jeffrey katzenberg left disney to go and do uh to go and found dreamworks who's um and michael eisner had a real vendetta against good old jeff um he he um the story is that A Bug's Life was made in direct competition with Ants, which is going on at DreamWorks. And then several Disney films would have kind of jabs at Jeffrey Katzenberg and the films DreamWorks were making at the time. There was a real rift between the two who had kind of started this thing. And then in the mid-2000s, after a string of really poor business decisions, um, which included the opening of Euro Disney, which was a massive disaster for the Walt Disney Corporation, and a lot of bad decisions all around on the theme park side, Michael Eisner was um, unceremoniously removed as chairman of the Disney Corporation and replaced by Roy Disney III, who is Walt's nephew i want to say he's either his nephew or his grandson he's one of the two mm. um who would then give it up a few years later and bob Iger would take over and bob Iger, of course stuck down early this year michael eisner is left disney a really rich man as he would um mm. he's to my knowledge no longer involved with film and he now owns a football team which is the um the ending of michael eisner's story Jeffrey Katzenberg still works at DreamWorks, and that's the end of the the Renaissance story. Did you learn anything from my little history lesson there? He owns a football team. Yes, he owns Portsmouth. Portsmouth. Okay, that's. Huh. Well, rather, he's he's part of a consortium that owns Portsmouth. Mm. It's just this it's. Very interesting, just from Disney to football. Yeah, but the the fall, the falling out between Katzenberg and and Disney was really really bad. Um, yeah. I, I think what it was, it was a, a a case of two creative alphas clashing. Michael Eisner wanted things one way, Katzenberg wanted it another, and they yeah. just they they couldn't meet in the middle. Hmm. Which ended up with um, Katzenberg forming DreamWorks and how we ended up with Shrek and How to Train Your Dragon as well as a few worse films. But, um, mm-hmm. Who knows what the Renaissance would have looked like if Katzenberg would have stayed. Yeah. Like, would it have been extended? Would we have more along the lines of Tarzan? I think in the end it had run, it, run its course. Yeah. Um. Of course, technology was changing, and that couldn't have been ignored. Mm-hmm. So that was all. It, there was always going to be a shift towards computer animation, especially after 
Pixar made a big breakthrough with it because yeah. they'd started tinkering with computer animation in the 80s and it looked horrifying. Um, and then they kind of refined it and were working on it through the 90s and got it to a point where it looked it looked good enough to be released as a feature. And I think once that point had reached, then traditional animation had reached a point of no, no return. Where, yeah. Because traditional animation takes a lot more work takes a lot is a lot more expensive than computer animation yeah. so it was always going to shuffle off this mortal coil i'm afraid mm. even though it's still utilized by some films today yeah i think there's been a bit of a, a call recently where um viewers are just like i wish people could go back to sort of like traditional drawings instead of well the, there was a um, there was a christmas film on netflix that i watched last year called klaus which was uh, yeah. made by a, a group of kind of ex Disney Renaissance animators that was done in the traditional animation style. It was really good. It was a really nice film. Um, I look forward to watching it again at Christmas. Um, which I'm hoping uh, Christmas can be extended this year after the the, uh, the dumpster fire of a year we've had. Wait, that was that was hand drawn. I believe so, oh. or at least some, some of it was. Yeah, because I watched that last year and um, I'm looking at the, the wiki now. Well, I'm looking at the artwork. That's hmm. uh, it's just... That's amazing. Because I, I actually really enjoyed that film. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice film. But the, that's the thing about hand-drawn animation is it some of it, if it's done well, really doesn't age. Because mm. it's, it's like a painting, a a good painting will always be a good painting. Yeah. It it won't age. And the same, like, because an animation is a form of art, a, a good form of art will always remain good, no matter how old it gets. Yeah. Okay. Even as we say, like, Snow White, which is the very first feature they made, that was way back in 1937. That still looks great now, and that's 80 yeah. years old. Bambi still looks amazing. Oh, Bambi, no, why'd you wound my heart so? Oof. I'm still traumatised by Bambi. Bambi, every time I watch Bambi, I'm just like, that's it, I'm I'm vegan now. I'm vegan. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, so that, anyway. that was our, our journey through yeah. the Disney Renaissance. I hope it's kind of brightened up your, your week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which cheered you up a little bit, going back through some good old memories. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna go back and rewatch um, the Hunchback, and then I think I'm gonna watch Tarzan next, and definitely Rescuers because I don't remember Rescuers. I don't know. Um, I might just go and rewatch Beauty and the Beast again. <laughs> That's just my go-to. Just Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And Hercules, Mulan, Mulan definitely. It's a is- a lot yeah. of Renaissance films are very much comfort films, aren't they? The things you go back to. Yeah. And you've had a really shitty week and you just want to kind of make yourself feel better again. You'll treat yourself to a mm. to a Beauty and the Beast or to an Aladdin, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the kind of everlasting appeal, no matter how much they we're kind of cynically squeezing the money out of each Renaissance film now. Mm. The appeal of the originals never wanes because I think... In all of the cases, the animated films are the better version. Yeah. Every single yeah. one. 
Scott and Farrell. then I think for me personally with um, Mulan especially just that comfort of Donny Osmond singing to me that he'll make a man out of me and I'm just like please yes <laughs> well, <laughs> can we discuss what a strange casting that is though like How? Donny Osmond singing as a Chinese man I mean, yeah, and the whole thing of, like, I'll make a man out of you, I'm just like, and me just like, please, just... <laughs> yeah. Stop being so thirsty, Angel, God. I meant in the terms of trans-validation. You're the one that's got the mind in the gutter. I'm, like, trans-experienced, yes. I Oof. think um, Donny Osmond's character was actually voiced by Jackie Chan in the Chinese version. As well. Oh, I can see um, that, he- or at least I think he sang that song in Chinese, anyway. Yeah. His, his music videos are interesting. <laughs> Have you seen him? He's Jack a very Jack? interesting guy, Jackie He Jack. is. He is. That's... So that kind of winds down our conversation this month, Angel. Um, have you got anything else you wish to say to our <laughs> listeners? Um... No, just be kind to yourselves. Because, like I said, I've I've had a bit of a a rough week, so I've had a bit of a flare up. So I've had that reminder myself. So I'm just passing it on to others. Just be kind to yourself. Be kind and to yourself to- and to others. That's the that's the moral of our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, thanks for joining me again this month, Angel. For having me. It's been fun. Um, we shall talk again next month. Um, thank, thanks to the listeners for listening um, I'm Nathan Major you can find me at Nathan Ken Major on Twitter or if you're on on internet then you can go to majorfilmreviews.com for all my reviews and random ramblings and um, what are your socials Angel that you would like to share with our listeners um, on Twitter it's AngelOrion87 right and until next month Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.